Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden, and today I'm talking to Simon Gurgle, Chief Investment Officer for UK Equities at Allianz Global Investors. Hello, Simon. Hi, Gavin. It's great to see you again. You're best known to investors as a fund manager. You run the Allianz UK Equity Income Fund, for which you gained a top CityWire AAA rating last month. Well done. Um, but the, the, the fund I'm most familiar with uh, you is Merchants, a £700 million investment trust launched 133 years ago in 1889. It also invests in the UK stock market with a view to delivering good income and has increased dividends for 39 years in a row, 16 of them under your watch. Um, uh, we'll come back to dividends later, though, I'm sure. But top of everyone's mind right now, uh, of course, is the war in Ukraine. Um, first and foremost, it is, of course, a human catastrophe. We should acknowledge that. Um, but this is an investment show. Uh, and events in Ukraine are having a profound impact on the global economy and stock markets, aren't they, Simon? Yes. I mean, uh, it's, it's tragic events uh, at the moment. But we are seeing enormous volatility, both in commodity prices, energy prices, metal prices, um, but also equity markets, bond markets. Yeah, we're seeing a huge amount of volatility uh, and uncertainty. Um, absolutely. Uh, it's been quite alarming at times. But uh, I assume as a, a UK investor investing in the UK stock market, you don't or didn't have much direct uh, exposure to Russia. No, we had no Russian listed equity holdings. We do have we have about 95% of the portfolio in UK listed shares and about 5 or 6% in continental European shares, but nothing directly in Russia. Okay. Um, but what about indirect uh, exposure? Do those companies based largely in the UK, do they have operations uh, in Moscow or elsewhere? The biggest exposure we've got is within the energy companies, where some of the big energy majors own stakes in Russian businesses. Um, other than that, we're talking about very small exposure, typically 1% or 2% if that, and maybe up to 5% in, in literally one or two cases. So minimal exposure for most of the portfolio outside of the energy companies. Okay. Um, merchants' uh, performance has been relatively resilient this year, but the shares have dropped uh, about 8% in the past month um, as the stock market has, has declined. Um, it's been really volatile, as you say. What have been uh, among your best and worst performers in that short period? Well, unsurprisingly, in this period, the areas that have performed really well are commodity areas like oil, um, mining, but also defence companies have performed really, really well. And the areas that have been most impacted have been the areas where investors have lost some confidence, the more cyclical industries such as you know consumer areas, financial, some of the banks have, have been hit quite hard. So really a, a cyclical negative, but the commodity area has done really well. Okay. And um, is that dislocation uh, amongst the, the, those shares that are falling, you know, is that creating any buying opportunities that you're responding to? Or are things too uncertain to, to venture forth? Well, we have for some time had a fairly balanced portfolio structure and, and not taking a particularly strong view either on the cyclical recovery, economic recovery or defensiveness on uh, commodities or financials. So there's a good balance in the portfolio. And therefore, we've not had to make any radical shifts in the portfolio in response to what's going on. Um, we will, of course, look at opportunities and, and, and the fundamental changes to industries coming out of what's what's happening um, and, and there will be small changes and we made some minor adjustments but really just individual situations rather than wholesale changes to the, to the fund. Now um, the price of oil has uh, surged about 25% in the, the past month it's around $117 uh, a barrel but it's, it has been higher. Um, how high could it go? What are, what are your uh, experts forecasters at Allianz saying? 
Well, it's, it's almost impossible to predict where the oil price goes in the short term. I think what's more important is how does that affect economic activity and confidence. There is a point at which the, the economy slows down as, as oil prices go, go up and, of course, demand for energy goes down. And there's a natural process in that. But essentially, the higher energy prices get, the more it constrains economic activity and restricts activity. Um, and therefore, there's growth, there'll be some pressure on economic growth. But it's very hard to say where the oil price might level out and start to come down again. Now, you, you all hold, uh, you invest in, in, in the energy sector, as you say. Um, uh, Shell and Total in France are two of your holdings. Um, I'm sure there are others, actually. But um, yeah, are you adding to any of those positions? Well, we, we can't really talk about what we've been doing in the last, in the last couple of weeks. As I said earlier, we, we're not making wholesale changes to the portfolio. We do, as a matter of course, tend to reduce positions as they go up if they get closer to fair, fair value. Although we have to reassess fair value. In, you know, situation, circumstances change. The fair value of an energy company today may well be above where we thought it was a few weeks ago because of the longer-term need for different sources of, of supply. Um, and, and we'll be reinvesting some of that money into cheaper areas which have been more neglected. So that's part of a natural process, but I'm, I can't really talk about individual uh, transactions in the last few weeks. Oh, I think no, that gives us an idea of what, you, what you, we might be doing. Um, how great is the risk of recession now with, with this uh, oil price surging so high? I think the risk is going up as the energy and other commodity prices goes up and as confidence gets knocked. I think, though, we've got to be careful we don't panic, um, and it depends where you are in the world. We started the year from a position where there was a lot of pent-up demand, and we had the, don't forget, we had the Omicron outbreak as well of, of the COVID virus. Um, so demand was being constrained. People couldn't travel. They couldn't go on holidays very much. They couldn't do, go out and do, do, engage in leisure activities, and they want to do that, and they wanted to get back to doing that. So we were seeing quite a strong recovery coming through and, and expected. So you are taking growth down off quite a high level, I think in America, where they're more energy secure, they've got their own supply of, of energy. They don't need to import so much. The cost of energy is probably not going to go up as much as it is in Europe, and therefore activity may be less constrained, um, whereas in Europe, the, the hit to growth could be a bit higher. So I think you aren't necessarily going to have a recession globally from, from higher energy prices and higher commodity prices. Um, but the further east you go from America... The, the, the more risk there is that growth slows down and potentially goes into recession. Okay. And, uh, you know, as you say, energy is, uh, is a sector that you, you're invested in through um, the likes of Shell and uh, Total of France, I think. Is that right still? Yeah. At the end of January, we had um, positions in, in, in Total, BP uh, and, and uh, Shell and, and a couple of other smaller stocks. Right, so it, 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 it's, it's good for their cash flows. They're declaring sort of record dividends and, and profits. Um, is it a boost for other types of energy, like shale? Um, I think what you're going to see is much more focus going forwards on security of supply on, on, and on, and on uh, energy supply more generally. So I think you'll see a number of things. You'll see, first, you'll see more investment probably in, in some of the areas that have been held back in hydro, hydrocarbons. You'll see much more investment in, in renewables. Um, areas like nuclear, we've already seen a lot of talk about restart, you know, restarting nuclear programs, rolling out nuclear stations, biomass energy. I think all sorts of energy supplies that can be developed, particularly those that don't de- depend on Russian gas, will be will be accelerated and will be backed. But not only that, 
you then need the infrastructure to deliver this, to transmit this and distribute it around the economies and around the countries. Um, and therefore, there'll be pressure on organisations like Ofgem to allow more investment by the grid, National Grid and the other distribution companies. Some of that investment has been quite contentious. So Ofgem hasn't haven't allowed all of that in the past. But I think you'll see massive demand or massive drive to, to build out the infrastructure to make transmission of energy easier, to connect up wind farms and so on, which are being built. Um, so you'll see investment in distribution. You'll see investment in uh, new generation assets. And so anything in that area could see quite a strong tailwind. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Now, there's, there's uh, over the past 15 years or so, there's been quite a few investment companies listed on the London Stock Exchange to to invest in uh, infrastructure, renewable infrastructure, and they're primarily income funds, a little bit like you, although you're investing in equities and shares. They're, they're investing, they're running the, these facilities. But are those kind of, uh, are you interested in this investment opportunity that you're just describing? Well, we uh, have, well, we're invested in quite a few companies that do that type of thing, the electricity distributed companies. Uh, we've got a generation company which does, does primarily biomass generation. So we have um, some exposure there already. We don't tend to buy other investment companies, other uh, you know pooled vehicles. That's not really our general approach. I think the other thing you've got to think about very long term is what this does to the the pricing of those assets and whether you end up with too much capacity, particularly variable capacity. You know, which depending on the wind blowing or the, the sun shining, um, that's an issue for a long way in the future. But there could potentially be an issue of too much variable and not enough baseload generation. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sorry, the other, yeah. the other area to talk about is the big energy companies themselves are investing in renewable power as well. So it's not just the utilities. Yes, exactly. Um, and then thinking about energy, I'm thinking about you know geopolitical, the world order. You know, how, how are you thinking about the implications of what's uh, happened uh, with, with Russia invading Ukraine and, you know, and, and the reaction from the West? I suppose... My personal view is this, this will make NATO stronger. It'll make the Western world more aligned um, to potential future threats. I think from an investment point of view, it will absolutely um, focus on security in the broader sense. So we're talking about defence spending is almost certainly going to rise. We've already seen some commitments on that, both short-term and longer-term. I think security of energy supply we've touched on, cyber security. There'll be a lot of areas of security which will see significant investments. Uh, it's probably easier to, to work out. I, I suppose the other area, which we were already seeing during the pandemic, we saw a lot of supply chain disruption. Companies were starting to bring more production closer to home, to Europe from China, for example. Um, I think this type of global insecurity accelerates that, that need to bring supply chains closer to the end markets and to do more manufacturing near the end market, which is quite good for the carbon footprint as well. Um, and potentially companies will hold more stock, more inventory to give themselves more protection from from volatility from uncertainty so i think the the globalization effect or the deglobalization effect could accelerate okay um we've talked a lot about um energy companies but um uh, commodities in general have been surging particularly metal prices so what about the mining sector that's been a there's been quite a strong recovery there uh, since two, 2020 and uh lots of dividends being paid so uh, uh, you already got holdings uh, in the likes of Rio, I think? Yes, we bought Rio in January. Actually, we switched out of BHP uh, into, into Rio uh, for a number of reasons. BHP had been a much better performer on the back of its energy business. It was delisting from the UK, and we moved into Rio. One of the, I mean, Rio's got a lot of iron ore, but it's also got a lot of aluminium. And one of the great things about Rio's aluminium is 80% of it is, is smelted with uh, renewable power in Canada. 
So that's a massive advantage from a greener point of view, but also from a cost point of view, compared to the bulk of the aluminium industry, where China is the biggest smelter of aluminium, and, and much of the Chinese production is done with coal-fired power stations generating the electricity. So Rio has a good advantage there. We're seeing rapidly rising aluminium prices and copper prices, which they're exposed to too. So there's, um, there's quite an important environmental play, because aluminium, aluminium and copper are both very important for the energy transition because of their electrical properties and in the case of aluminium because it's weight versus other metals. Now oh, it's interesting you've got uh, exposure to to that to that theme. Um you know, you're talking about the we're talking about the the, the big increase, increases in, in metals and uh, the cost pressures there. Um let, let's talk about inflation because that's uh that, that's be- was already a big issue and uh, uh scaring markets at the end of last year and now uh, is, is, is surging even ever higher, um, going towards 8%, it would seem. Um, again, how far, how high do you think it will go and uh, how, how, high, how long will it stay high? Well, we had expected until recently that inflation would be peaking around about now and then starting to decline soon um, because the year-on-year rate of in- energy price inflation would have, should have rolled over. But clearly, we've got to revise that. So I think inflation, it's hard to put a number on it, but it's going to stay high for quite a while. And, uh, and that has some pretty important consequences um, for, uh, for co- companies. I mean, most businesses are looking very closely at the costs and trying to manage inflation as much as they can. Yes, I mean it's uh, it, uh, the more they're paying for their on the input prices, uh, the less they can make. Uh, and if they can't pass those on to consumers, um, it, it compresses their their profit margins. Well, that's why it's really important to understand, and we spend a lot of time looking company by company at how how able they are to pass on inflationary pressures. So, at the one extreme, the commodity companies clearly are benefiting from high inflation. The utilities, some of them have regulated price increases in line with inflation or above inflation. So there are some areas where pricing power is good. Some some manufacturers, some other businesses have strong pricing power. Other companies are more price takers and get and can get squeezed. And so we have to understand that. But but most of the businesses we own have been around for a long time and they're there because they have a strong competitive advantage and that allows them over time to recover most of the cost price increases. So we we wouldn't see this as a long term issue for most of our businesses. But certainly there's a short-term issue, and it could affect demand as well if prices go up a lot. Okay. Well, I mean, talking about inflation, let's talk about um, the dividends. And I'm thinking about here particularly about merchants, the, the, the investment trust. Um, got this long track record of uh, growing the dividend. And over the long term, it does has grown the dividend ahead of inflation, but maybe not in the past couple of years. So, um, yeah, it, as inflation gets to these high levels, can you can the board of the trust you know, declare a dividend um, that's uh, rising faster than the cost of living? Well, I think we should focus again on the long term. Um, Merchants, as you say, has delivered a dividend increase well above inflation over, its, over, over the last 39 years, as you say, of, of dividend growth. I think at the moment we're coming from a slightly different position. We're coming from a period during pandemic where many dividends were cut and companies are now rebuilding their dividends and we are rebuilding our dividend cover. So I think it would be quite hard to grow dividends in line with or above inflation in the short term because we are still seeing, we're still rebuilding that, those earnings power from Merchants Trust uh, companies. Um, over time, though, particularly as inflation hopefully starts to subside, we should get better able to grow dividends in line with or hopefully above inflation. But um, it, it could take some time to get back to that point. 
And thinking from an investor point of view, you know, you know, you're investing in equities and share in, in shares of companies. Um, the, the dividends they pay are sort of variable. They can they can raise them. Hopefully they, they they increase them, but they can equally you know turn them off uh, if something bad happens or they want to do something else with the money and invest in the business that sort of thing. Um, could you just remind our, our listeners why you know why equities are a good asset class, as it were, for income as opposed to you know other areas like infrastructure we've touched on or bonds or property where. The, you know, the steadier streams of income. Well, just before I do that, probably worth just reminding listeners that the, one of the great things about investment trusts is you can tuck money away in good years to pay in bad years. So we were able to keep growing the dividend through the pandemic, despite a huge number of cuts of dividends in the marketplace. You've got reserves of money that you dip into. Or exactly. And that's, really powerful. There. and that's really powerful for investment trusts. And, and therefore... It's all very well talking about whether or not you can beat inflation, but actually to, to go through the pandemic with a rising dividend, I think is a strong achievement, and also to deliver strong performance at the same time. Um, but your question about equities versus other assets, you know, I'm not going to talk about all the other asset classes, but equities over time, because they are invested in real, they're real businesses, operating in the real world, most of them can, or many of them, can pass through pricing increases. They can potentially keep their profits growing and dividends growing in line with or above inflation. Um, whereas, obviously, if you buy a government bond, you get a fixed return. So investors need to look at different asset classes and, and their different qualities. But equities can, over time, provide dividends that can grow in line with or above inflation. But of course, there's risk. There's individual company risk, and then there's risk overall. Okay. Um, can we turn to the question of style? I was interested to hear you say, uh, investment style, that is. Uh, interested you say that describing your portfolios uh, as balanced. Um, because I've always had you down as a sort of value investor, someone who likes to buy you know good companies, but but when they're cheap, which does sound quite quite sensible. Um, but there is the opposite st- style of of growth, which is you know paying, being prepared to pay more for companies that are growing fast. And um, the growth style has been very dominant until recently, until uh, past year or so. Um, so, but. N- you know, we had the post, yeah, post coronavirus uh, recovery, which seemed to be favouring the value style. Um, but now we're hit with this Ukraine uh, crisis, and as you say, the economy there's question question marks over the uh, economic growth going forward. So, is that going to bring an end to this value style recovery um, or slow it down? What do you think? Well, firstly, we do have a value bias, so we do like to buy companies below what we think is their fundamental worth. We're not anti-growth. I mean, growth and value aren't exactly opposites, though sometimes they are seen as such. What we'd really like is companies that can grow nicely and buy them at a sensible price. Um, But we're also not totally dependent on the value style rotation for performance. In fact, for the last few years, despite what's been quite a difficult environment, as you touch on, for value investors, we've delivered really strong performance and strong outperformance of the market. So we're trying to buy individually good companies, sound businesses, at attractive valuations. When I say we're balanced, it doesn't mean that we don't have a valuation bias. It means we don't have a bias towards cyclicality or defensiveness or international earners or defensive or domestics or you know, com- commodities versus and financials. We, I mean, we do have small biases to those, but we've, we've got a broad spread of businesses. And so what we're trying to do is let our stock selection do the talking, let our selection of individual securities drive performance rather than trying to make a big call on whether the economy is going to have a recession or not and, and, and you know, all the defensive sectors are going to do better. That's not really our style. And actually, at the moment, when you look across the market, there are cheap opportunities, value opportunities in both the defensive areas but also in the cyclical areas. 
Uh, you know, some of the house builders look very cheap, but equally some of the utilities or, or you know, other defensive areas look cheap. So there's a good opportunity as a value investor. You don't have to be pigeonholed at the moment into cyclical or financials versus defensives. Okay, that's, that's, that's fascinating. One last question. I mean, it sounds like you're finding that, you know, lots of things to, to look out for and, uh, and consider buying. But uh, just you know, the events of the past few weeks with the outbreak of, of war in Ukraine have been really alarming, um, just purely from an investment point of view, if nothing else. But just on, from that investment point of view, what would you say to investors, you know, to, to reassure them? I mean, you know, there's been talk about, you know, n- nuclear weapons and, you know, it, it's, it's very alarming. And the impact that would have on, uh, on, on the world and the stock market would be pretty grave. So is there anything you could say to sort of reassure people around, you know, I mean, generally speaking, in recent years, private investors have been very good about not panicking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, when you start talking about nuclear warfare, uh, maybe the mood will change. Have you got anything to say to reassure people? Well, I suppose where it starts, where you started the conversation, Merchants Trust has been around 133 years, and in that time there have been a lot of very significant global events. And yet, as a, as a investment portfolio, investment product, it has it has thrived. And, you know, in much more recent times, we've been through the global financial crisis, we've been through the Brexit uncertainty, we've been through the pandemic, we've been through fears of a, a quite a radical change of government potentially in the UK. There have been a lot of issues that have come along um, and create a lot of uncertainty in investors' minds. We tended to, through all of these, to focus on the long term, to focus on uh, do we own fundamentally sound businesses, companies that often have been around for many years themselves, but businesses where they have a competitive advantage, where they will likely to be around in 5, 10, 15 years' time, generating good cash flows, paying dividends. Um, and you know, in most scenarios, those businesses, if you can buy them at the right price, at a sensible price, should deliver a, a good good return. Now, clearly, there are types of macroeconomic or sort of geopolitical situations where it becomes more difficult. But I think as an investor, you, you should try to look through uncertainty and, and try to, to just keep your nerve really and just focus on the long term. If you, if you try as an investor to second guess short term movements in what's going to happen geopolitically or where markets are going to go, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Okay, so that sounds like wise words. Thanks very much for your time and, uh, and your reassurance and your insight into what's been happening. Thank you, Gavin. Great to see you again. Thank <laughs> you.